This is the Back Row Bengals Sports Podcast presented to you by the Back Row Fantasy Show. Go check them out on Twitter. Right now, we are talking with the Cincinnati legend himself, Jeff Ruby. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Uh, um Happy to do it. Absolutely. Thank you. So before we get into any sort of Bengals talk, I want to go for I have to talk about some steaks because I'm a big steak fan. I love your restaurants. My The Precine is one of my all-time favorite restaurants. What is your favorite steak and what is your favorite cut of meat? Well, they're both the same. The ribeye steak is probably the best cut and uh, because it has the, uh, the outer lip... Um, which is called, in meat terms, spinalis, but that's uh, that's real sweet. It's the same as prime rib. Mm-hmm. It's it's c- cut and then broiled instead of kept together and roasted as one big unit. But um, it's um, it's got that uh, that spinalis there. It's really, if you ever had prime rib, that that strip around the edge mm-hmm. is the sweetest part, the oh. most tender part, oh, the yeah. most flavor, as opposed to the eye, which is the middle. And uh, so that's good. And, and uh, if it's thick, cut thick, which we do, then it eats up good. And, um, um, and then the strip is a good cut. Um, and um, essentially, I don't want to put anything. We put in the way we season our steaks and the the drawn butter we put on at the end, and then you got the juices that drip from the steak into the butter. And I tell everybody, make sure you swoop up every cut into that little sauce that's yeah. been created by the juices in the butter. <laughs> and that really adds to it. Yeah. And so I don't need anything else on my steak. You don't need so nothing else. That's and just we don't even offer a one sauce. Oh right, absolutely. Your steaks don't need it. Uh, one time, I still remember, I went to the precinct with my family. We've been there twice, and every time it's been great. Not only were the steaks great, and the the service was phenomenal. And even after, because the building's so old, and it's honestly, it's a big piece of Cincinnati history. Uh, after hours, we asked one of the servers if we could go look up in the private room, and they let us, and they let us like walk around and, and look at it. And so I want to say this: the service and the, and the food is great, and I absolutely loved it. And you guys have made a lot of memories for me and my family. Well, um, our um, our employees, you know, our food fills your stomach. Our employees fill your heart. Yeah, they're, they're the most important part. It's the people that work for us. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that uh, you have the memory of. They're absolutely, they're absolutely so nice and incredible, and and they were they were so helpful and just always there, always ready to take your order, and always had a smile on their face. So Thank you. I absolutely appreciate it. So obviously, you have one of the most successful steakhouses, not only in Cincinnati but the entire country, not only the entire country, the entire world, um, but. I obviously huge Bengals fan, and when I started hearing about Bengals players starting to take other Bengals players to dinner, I really started to think about well, at the precinct, there's all those pictures of famous uh, people, celebrities, uh, players, and I wanted to ask you, what have been some of your greatest memories of Bengals players in uh, one of your steakhouses? It could be the precinct, it could be Jeff well, Ruby's here. You know, it's funny you mentioned. Um Yesterday on Boomer and Geo, uh, Boomer Sison has a CBS uh, sports TV show. Yeah, and uh, and they're on W, the Fan, um, uh, in New York. It's the highest rated radio show in that time period. 
he talked about me in the precinct yesterday on the show. Really? And um, and and uh, and he and Chris Collinsworth, both partners of mine at the waterfront, mm-hmm. um, which was my second restaurant. But somehow yesterday they got talking about the Heimlich maneuver <laughs> on a sports show, and it was hilarious, especially Geo, who I've never met, and Boomer's a dear friend, and. So they get talking about it. So during the commercial break, I text Boomer. I said, uh, just so you know, uh, Dr. Heimlich performed the, his maneuver on our employees at the precinct personally. Years way back when it first started. Really? So Boomer said, you know, he, he started, he said, well, I just got a text from my friend Jeff Ruby and blah, blah, blah in the precinct. And... And as I told him, it was at the precinct where Phil did it. And uh, he started talking about me in the precinct and the greatest restaurant in Cincinnati, one of the greatest restaurants he's ever been to, his favorite and all that. So it was all good publicity. And um, um, uh, just yesterday. So um, it, it harkens me back to the precinct in 81 when Chris Collinsworth was a rookie the Bengals went to the Super Bowl that year. Right. And Chris hung out at the place because we had a nightclub upstairs. And uh, Chris and I became friends. And um, so when they went to the Super Bowl, they played uh, the 49ers in Detroit. And um, and then CBS was up there with a crew at the precinct with a big CBS sports banner. Right. And they would come into the precinct during the game with from CBS. And Johnny Bench and Pete Rose were up there because mm. they're, they were partners of mine at the precinct. Right, right about that. And uh, in fact, if it wasn't for Pete and Johnny, I would never have been able to do the precinct. I was working at Holiday Inn at the time, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do this restaurant, and they backed me. When they backed me, as big as they were back in 80 and 81, uh, that gave us other people that wanted to be in the deal just because Pete and Johnny were in it. And um, so... The memories of uh, the Super Bowl up there and the party up there. Uh, I got married there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my 40th birthday party. Where I think there's a picture of, with Boomer and Chris sitting upstairs in the club up there with a big balloon, 40, and somewhere that 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 photograph is still there. They came up to um, uh, to the party. Been a lot of great memories. Um, there's been a lot of bad memories at every restaurant, mm-hmm. and a lot of things that have happened. Um, um, at the precinct, there were many, many fist fights, and every wow. time the police came, I was at the bottom of the pile, and I got in trouble for that. <laughs> but uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good things, uh, and, um, but there's so many memories at so many restaurants, you know, you, you know, just. The best part of the business for me is when people thank me as, as they leave. Thanks for having me, they said. Thanks for having us here tonight to eat. I said, well, thank you for coming here. I mean, we're, you know, George Clooney was in here once. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when he was doing that uh, Ides of March, he sat right here. Uh, actually, George Clooney interviewed me. Really? At the precinct, I got that picture. He was a beat reporter for Channel 12 or whatever. And it, it might have been right around that Super Bowl thing. So there's a picture of him interviewing me. We're both very young. 
And uh, of course, he turned out bigger than I did, but uh, who knew he was going to be mm-hmm. what right. he is today? Um, it was just a lot of great memories, but um, Heimlich maneuver, saving people's lives, has been uh, uh, something that we're, we're, we're pleased to do and we feel good about uh, using the Heimlich maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody that saw the show yesterday texted me and said, yeah, you did the Heimlich Minute. My son did it, actually, at the precinct for him. And he was at the precinct uh, few, just two years ago. And we've saved lives. And um, um, uh, so there's a lot of good, a, a lot of good, good memories. You know, I, I, I really don't know how to single out one from the other. Right. You know, singing with Garth Brooks on my stage. Wow. And, and Nashville, singing with Toby Keith. Here, in Nashville at my stage, in Louisville on my stage. Um, so that's three places that I have sang on stage with with Toby uh, uh, Keith. And Garth Brooks never goes on stage in a bar or anything. In fact, his, his manager, uh, my son was there that night. He actually had a party there. It was when he won the... Uh, the Jubilee Award, I think it was the first time a country star ever won this. So they had an after party in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we got it upstairs, these huge crystal diamonds mm-hmm. that he gave to every guest. And I got one like that big. So we had the party at Nashville after the, uh, after the, um, the ceremony. He had a few hundred people there. They had a private room. So... Uh, and uh, Trisha Yearwood, his wife, was there. She got actually on stage and sang. And we had a band up there. So I go up to Garth Brooks, and I said, listen, let's do Lost That Love and Feeling on stage, and let's do the song. Mm. I said, you know it's the most played song in the history of radio? That song has been played more than any other song. He said, I don't know it. I said, it's okay. The band's got it, and they got it on digital there. You can just read it on an iPad. They have the words there. Mm-hmm. He heard of the song. Right. So I, he's okay, and he's talking to some people. I said, all right, wait, I'll call you up. And so I told Dylan, I said, uh, Garth is going to get on stage and sing with me. And uh, and that didn't surprise my son Dylan. So Randy, Dylan is uh, Garth Brooks's manager, Randy Bernard. So he says to Randy, he says, uh, my dad's going to get up and sing with Garth Brooks in a few minutes. He says, you don't know Garth Brooks, Dylan. Garth does not get up on stage and sing, ever. He's never done it. He will never do it. Right. You don't know Garth Brooks. So Dylan says to, to his manager, he says, uh, Randy, you don't know my dad. He's going to get up there and sing. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Right. So there's a $20 bet, which I didn't know about any. Mm-hmm. So after I did the song with Garth, I think there's there's a picture here now, one of these pictures on the wall doing the singing the song, mm-hmm. and um, I'm outside on the patio having a cigar, and Dylan says uh, shows me a twenty dollar bill. I said, "What's that?" And he told me the bet he just made with Randy Bernard about me not being able to sing with Garth Brooks wouldn't do it, right? I said, "Really." I said, that would have never happened without me. Let me have 10 of it. <laughs> right. And he said, no. And we haven't talked since. <laughs> just kidding about that. But uh, we just thought he's upstairs. Right. So uh, all these things are kind of fun. And in Louisville, we have 
the Derby, we have uh, we have the um, Breeders' Cup, and and on stage there, uh, there's every. I've sang with Salt and Pepper on stage. I've sang with Boys to Men on stage, Taylor Dane on stage, uh, Mary Wilson who just died of the Supremes. Mm -hmm. on st all these people, Travis Tritt on stage, Toby Keith on stage, and um, so there's always fun. When I, I I was a lead singer in my band in college right. at Cornell, I went to school there and started my own band, and all I did was sing and play tambourine. Tra mm -hmm. What do you call it, tambourine? I think it's a tambourine. tambourine. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> trampoline tambourine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was I I was at the dentist the other day. Oh yeah. Getting my teeth clean, and I had a, a, a sore here that was still bleeding. I cut myself shaving the day before, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so it was still on my lip, right on the lip. So I say to the girl, she's cleaning my teeth. I said, "That's uh, sorry, there. Be careful." I said, uh, "I meant to say, I cut myself shaving in the shower yesterday." What came out of my mouth was, "I cut myself showering in the shave yesterday." <laughs> so excuse me. Because that's how I talk sometimes. It just comes out wrong. Right. But yeah, you're fine. She knew what I meant, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I caught myself. She didn't catch myself. Wait a minute. I just said something backwards. <laughs> <laughs> right. Man, you listed off so many great, uh, you know, memories with some great people, a lot of Bengals icons. And uh, so a Bengals icon just frequent or just recently came to the precinct with a lot of free agents. I think you know him. I got to say, I think he's going to be a Bengals legend and a future Hall of Famer, Joe uh, Burrow. He's, he's, you know, I told him the other day, at the precinct, I saw his tweet about justice and racial equality. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that was so remarkable for a young man, you're, you're so above your age, for you to come out and word it the way you did. Uh, it, it was featured on TV, but I saw that tweet and he follows me and so I tweeted him back, but I said, you know, I am. I feel really strongly about things like that. One day we'll talk about it. But it, it was just amazing how you could articulate that better than somebody from the head of the defamation uh, uh, association. And, and uh, uh, it, it was. It's who he is. Mm. Uh, he's very mature. He's very mature. He's obviously a great quarterback. He's a great leader. Um, starting the foundation, he did. Uh, for hunger, mm. um, uh, we talked about that actually when I first met him in Columbus. He had the steak burrow, and he, when he was done eating, right, he left the best part of the ribeye, the spinalis. I was telling you, I said, "Wait, wait, wait, you ain't done." I said, "Finish this part. You left the best part. He just ate the middle, the eye." Right. So I had to get him to eat, uh, eat it right. But uh, he loved it. He was so down to earth. He's you know, gave me, I didn't even, he gave me his phone number. He, actually, he, he texted me, thank you, what a great time, and, and all this and that. And, and, and Justin Hilliard brought him in with some other uh, Ohio State players. And mm -hmm. Justin is a kid I mentored when he was at St. X. And I'm Uncle Jeff to Justin, and, and Justin called me. He, says, uh, he said, Uncle Jeff, I'm going to bring Joe Burrow in tonight. And I said, great. And, um, and some of the other players. Mm -hmm. And so... I made sure I went to Columbus to, to meet him, told him about the steak, we're gonna put that on the menu and, and give a portion of it to his foundation. Mm -hmm. 
and um, and we did, and then COVID came, so we're redeploying that now. Right. Uh, the Columbus restaurant and the three Cincinnati restaurants. Um, but no, he's. Um, you know, I got all this credit for uh, for being the reason these recruits all signed. Uh, Zach Taylor. Uh, that was, uh, I think they were in Thursday night. Zach Taylor was back Saturday night for dinner with his family. I said, you know, I don't think you had anything to do with this. I'm, I'm getting all the credit for this. You know, <laughs> well, it's all over the country, you know, ESP, everywhere. Yeah. The athletic, the local, the, you know, TV. And I said, you know, it's, 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 really, it's ridiculous. It's not true. It's totally, I'm getting credit for something I don't deserve, and I love it, you know? Right, right, right. And um, so he laughed, and, uh, but Joe Barrow sat at the table downstairs in the main dining room and, uh, with uh, Sam Hubbard and Zach and uh, Riley Reef, uh, a couple others, and then upstairs were two tables, two coaches, you know, the defensive coaches, mm -hmm. and, um, and their recruits. Uh, so I just went to every table, said hello, thanked them for coming, told some stories, and some of them laughed at the, some of the guys, the players, you know, they laughed, and you try to entertain them, but not take up too much of the time, because they've sure. they got stuff to talk about. Right. And, um, uh, but uh, Joe was the reason. I'm sure Zach Taylor and the other coaches, and the other players, there were other players there. You know, it's like when you're going to college, you're recruiting, and you got other players with a certain player, the coach, but you know they see the other teammates are going to be if they go to that school, you know. Well, you see, Bob Huggins sent all of his recruits to the waterfront, and I got very involved with those recruits: Corey Blunt, Nicky Van Exel, all of them, mm -hmm. and recruited them. Uh, after the dinner was over, I'd take them up to my club upstairs until four in the morning and talk to them, and uh, and and wind up to this day, Corey Blunt and Nicky Van Exel still. You know, text me or call me, and uh, uh, they're good friends, and uh, I was a surrogate, uh, a mentor to them, and uh, especially Nikki. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, so it, it's 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 all that you know that that uh, that aspect. You take them, whether you're with Procter and Gamble and you're bringing in someone you want to come with your company, or you're with Fifth Third, or you want to put a, a ring on your girlfriend and make her your fiance. You want to do, you want to go, uh, or, or you just got a big raise and you want to celebrate with your family. You want to go someplace that's just got some excitement and energy and classy and, and, and quality and the way you're treated and the food. And, you know, you, you don't want to take them to a casual, you want to go to a really great place. Right. And um, where, where are you going to impress someone more than one of our restaurants, uh, especially when we had the waterfront with the view there and everything? Oh, yeah. And, and, and it was so spectacular in the way they were treated. So um, I just did my little part of, uh, of uh, entertaining. I remember when one of the coaches brought, uh, brought um, uh, uh, the kid, the running back, that's the star running back from Minnesota now. Florida State, they were going to recruit him. Mm -hmm. um, oh my God, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, right. And I went to the table, got talking to Dalvin. And I told him, I said, You're better than Leonard Fournette. And Fournette was going to be the number one of the running back pick. Right. And we got talking and everything. And Dalvin immediately followed me on Twitter, vice versa. Same thing with AJ McCarron, Tyler Eifert, uh, the, the, the day he uh, 
came to Cincinnati. We've been friends ever since. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you know, they like to know, they like to know the local restaurant tour right. too. You know, right? Absolutely. So I mean, that was such a big recruitment dinner. I do think that that was a big part of signing Riley Reef, and I think you answered it. But one of my questions was, do you feel any responsibility for bringing Riley Reef in? I always said I tweeted the other day. I said, you know, I'm getting all this. Of course, they talked about it on. Channel 12 on the, on the sports show. Yeah. Uh, somebody sent me that tweet. And I said, Jesus. I said, they were impressed with the, priest, the precinct, but they were more impressed with with, uh, with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were other coaches and players that also did their jobs. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, it's a team effort, and I'm on the team. That's all. So, you know, so with, you know, if they had a lousy meal and a lousy experience, I don't know, but they've still come, probably. But that's the cherry on top of the on top of the whipped cream, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but that's all important where you take someone when you're trying to impress them to believe in you that you that you are first class. You don't take them, you know, uh, to you know. And uh, give me, I, I love Skyline Chili. Right. You don't take them to Skyline Chili to recruit <laughs> your players come in. Right. right? You don't take them there, but you know. Uh, in fact, they talked about Skyline. I think it was uh, it was uh, Richard Skinner on that TV show. Mm-hmm. He said, "Oh, after a great steak, the next day I want to go to Skyline." So, but you want to go to a a gourmet restaurant, a great restaurant, right? You know, um, to uh, to uh, you know cut your deal. Right. So obviously coming from New Jersey over to Cincinnati, you had one of the most legendary lines, I want to start in Cincinnati, I'm a Reds fan, which I thought, which I saw, which I, I yeah. loved. Uh, Do you feel that you are any sort of, sort of almost like a, an advocate or an ambassador for the city of Cincinnati to bring in athletes? No, I'm not. No, I, I'm, I just do my part. Um, but um, I did... Co- <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, in Asbury Park, and all over Jersey, actually, the Jersey Shore, but, and, and, and everyone was a Yankee fan in New Jersey, and everyone's hero mm-hmm. was uh, Mickey Mantle. And I've never been a Me Too guy. From a little, eight years old, I have never been a Me Too person. Right. Where, oh, yeah, okay, Me Too. Right. That's not me. I'm different. I want to be independent. I, I ran away from home when I was 15, and I never returned. Right. I raised myself. Mm-hmm. So um, that's who I am. So I remember I was in St. Petersburg, Florida with my mother and um, on a vacation, I suppose it was, at a cheap motel, and she left for the day. And I'm in the motel watching TV. And um, I was about seven, eight years old. And there was a spring training game on. And the game playing was the Pirates and the Reds. Mm-hmm. So if I was say, you know, this is 56 or so. And the Pirates are winning like 10 to nothing. Right. Okay. I watch an NCAA basketball game, right? Loyola Chicago versus Loyola. I'm going to root for the underdog. Right, absolutely. Uh, Oral Roberts, whoever, I'm going to root for the underdog. <laughs> right, I right. I see someone else get some happiness. Someone else maybe make it to a championship game that it, it never happened before, and they it, it's it's something special for them, especially for anybody. But you know what I'm saying. Right. David versus Goliath. So um, the Reds are losing like 10 to nothing. I said, well, I start rooting for the team losing. I didn't know the, you know. 
And next thing you know, they make a comeback, and it's, you know, I think they wound up losing like 16 to 14 or something. Mm. But that whole time, you know, I'm cheering the Reds. Well, that became my favorite team forever. Really? Wow. And Frank Robinson became my hero, not Mickey Mantle. And I can, I can go back to the, to the 60s and name just about every player, even before Pete Rose or Johnny Bench. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, uh, that was my favorite team. And when the president of the company, Juan Gardner Hammonds, was recruiting me out of Cornell, and they owned, at the time, 37 Holiday Inns from Syracuse, New York to Anchorage, Alaska. And they recruited me at Cornell. Give example. They said they want me to join their company, mm-hmm. so they sent me from Ithaca, New York, at Cornell. They set me up at a fancy top of the inn with live Vegas shows and little foxes that are the same Playboy bunnies, <laughs> and a great thing, and and a lot of other stuff. I better not say, but <laughs> and I spent the night there, and it was first class. They want me to see their premier place, right? And it was only, you know, 45 minutes from Cornell. So later, uh, now I'm graduated, it's May or whatever, and now I'm working back at Perkins Pancake House in Asbury Park as an eggologist, and my goal is to become one day the assistant manager there. And I've been working there ever since I ran away, even before I ran away from home. That's why I had money to run away from home. So, um, and the president kept calling the Perkins, Oh, you gonna come? And he was a big guy, right? Ex Virginia football player. He was getting his PhD at Cornell, mm. and I met him actually. I was a fresh. I was on the Cornell football team, and and as a freshman, one of my jobs was my scholarship was to feed the varsity on the cafeteria line, and I did that. And uh, he and I got into it because I was goofing off too much. But anyway, <laughs> um, and so I never signed up for the interview four years later because the three didn't like me mm-hmm. and my teammate and roommate at Cornell said no Rubes you got us he really really wants you I said he's going to interview me because he wants to say I remember you when you were 18 and I don't want I'm not going to get he said Rubes please so I did the interview and he was right they wanted me mm-hmm. so in the summer comes he keeps calling the Perkins and I said well and they wanted me to start in Syracuse and as a junior assistant innkeeper I said, if I come with you, your headquarters is in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I had never been to Cincinnati. He, I, he, I didn't go to the city. He, you know, he came to Cornell to recruit. I didn't go to Cincinnati. And um, I said, I want to start in Cincinnati. He said, why? I said, because I'm a Reds fan. He said, you're a Reds fan? You're born and raised in Jersey. How are you a Reds fan? I said, I'm just telling you, I'm a Reds fan. Right. You want to give me Cincinnati? I'll come. You want me to start in Syracuse? I'll stay right here at Perkins. So he gave me Cincinnati. He had to make all these other changes. And I got I pulled up here in a 1969 Dodge Charger, like in the movie Bullet, only it was green. Right. And I pulled up here in August of 70, and I started. And uh, I didn't have any money. I had $20 in one suit. So one of the managers that was an assistant manager came from Cornell, who I barely knew, he let me sleep in his apartment at the Forum on the couch for $75 a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a nightclub down there called the Den of the Forty Thieves. So I go down there to have a drink. And there's some guy sitting there with about 20 girls all around him, sitting on his knee and everything like he was Santa Claus. And all this people. 
and there, and 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 uh, it was Johnny Bench, and he was a rookie. Wow. And um, I said, well, man, if I if I could just get his spillage, he had to <laughs> right. with all these girls, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody, so I went over and we met, and that's how I met Johnny Bench. And in '81, he becomes my first partner. And I met him in '70. But he came to the Holiday Inns all the time. In fact, mm-hmm. I invited him up. He came the next day, and we became friends. Um, I was in his wedding, and he was my best man in my wedding, and and uh, that's how that whole thing started. And but it was really interesting. Now I'm working at the Holiday Inn Riverfront in Covington as, as an assistant. And Eric Camford, the guy that hired me, that says. Why do you want to come to Cincinnati? I said, because I'm a Reds fan. Mm-hmm. He calls me at the Holiday Inn in Covington. He says, you know you got Sparky Anderson, which was his first year. Uh-huh. You know you got Sparky Anderson, who's now the late, great Spark- Hall of Fame manager. Right, right. You got him staying at your Holiday Inn. Have you met him? And I said, no. He said, well, meet him. Okay? That's right. what you got to do. When you got somebody like that, you got to introduce yourself. And, hey, I'm, you know, thanks for coming. Yes, sir. I go in the coffee shop, he's having breakfast. And I said, hi, Mr. Anderson, my name is Jeff Ruby, it's good to meet you. He says, sit down, young man. Uh, And sitting there with him was Bobby Knight. Wow. And uh, Sparky Anderson, I'm in his first book, a chapter, his final book, a chapter about me. He became a father figure to me. We became very, very close. And there I am wanting to come to Cincinnati because I'm a Reds fan and no other reason. And I wind up having a, 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 a father-son relationship with Sparky Anderson, uh, best friends with Johnny and Pete, and they become my first partners that make my first restaurant poss- possible. And then on and on and on with other people, uh, you know, player Joe Morgan and go on and on. But in this same room, I would say 10 years ago, maybe a little bit, because I remember my son was about 15 or 16 and I brought him in here. So Bobby Knight sitting in here with Tony LaRusso, the Cardinals were in town, mm-hmm. everybody's and some other people. So I walk in and I had met Tony before. And he said, this Bobby. I said, Bobby, it's good to meet you, Jeff Ruby. He said, I met you in 1970 at the Holiday in Riverfront with Sparky Anderson. Yeah, I think it, that's right. How did he remember that? Right. The guy that's supposed to be a jerk, you know, that's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> flies off the handle and is so mean and everything. Right. I said, how in the, you remember me? I was nobody. I'm still really not nobody you know, for him to remember me. And how did he remember that when I didn't? It blew my mind. And I said, well, I wanted you to introduce you to my son. Because he could be doing better in sports and in school. He's got the ability, but he kind mm-hmm. of slacks off and give him a little, you know. And Bobby did just the opposite. <laughs> just be happy, do you, you know, whatever. So right. that didn't help. Right, <laughs> They're right. But, but, yeah, so Brandon, my son, was a teenager then. When, and right in this room, Bobby Knight remembered. So all these things that happened at these places I own or manage... Uh, been a lot of relationships. I met my wife at the Holiday Inn in, in, uh, huh. in uh, Um So I met my first girlfriend I lived with five years at that same Holiday Inn. Yeah. You know? um, so wow. that's that's what we do. And uh, but no, I'm not. 
I, I think what I try to do is just, you know, when you have enough wealth that you can live comfortably, you should give some back to the community that gave it to you in the first place. Right. I mean, whatever I got, who, the people of Cincinnati gave me that. Mm-hmm. You know, and by coming to the restaurants and supporting things and, you know, so that's, I give back financially and whatever else I can do, you know. Right. Um, I, I did this podcast. I've had a, a number of requests for these podcasts, especially since this Bengal thing mm-hmm. and others. A lot of requests. Oh, yeah. I did Eric. I did. I did Eric Wood, the, the former Buffalo Bill University mm-hmm. star. He's a friend of mine. Went to Elder High School. Right. Uh, I did his podcast, and you know he's a friend. But uh, I did this one because of what you're doing. Because you were a young kid, you were so sincere about wanting this would mean so much to you. And then when you told me you're majoring in special education, I said, I am going to do this podcast. Oh, thank so, you. But you try to you know, do things that, that give back to the community, because without the community, you wouldn't be here in the first place. Absolutely. You know, I wouldn't have this restaurant. I wouldn't have a nice house. Right. So, and most people, they'll give their fair share of giving back. Who, who gave you that money in the first place? <laughs> the people in this city. Right. And now in the other city, Lexington, Louisville, Columbus, Nashville. You know, so that's I think everybody should should give back. Right, absolutely, and, and that really that really does mean a lot. Thank you so much. And it really it it meant a lot when you when you did agree, and I I was it, I was over the world. Uh, I really I, was. I, I believed you. So how much it meant to you? I said okay. Absolutely. I'll kill an afternoon for you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously, uh, we talked about a little bit about your early life and about what the city of Cincinnati means to you. Is and we talk about, on? yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it turns off. I thought it was going to turn off too. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fine. And then all else fails. I got that too. Okay. Yeah. So, so talking about a little bit of your earlier life and just who you are as a person, you talk about the underdog and I think your story defines the triumph of the underdog. Yeah, that's why. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you think that characteristic almost embalms this city? Because I feel like the city of Cincinnati is constantly the underdog and will always be the underdog. Do you think that is a big characteristic of the city? Well, the, the, the city's, you know, underrated quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I know when Boomer Esiason, he's a New Yorker. Right. And he came to Cincinnati. He was, of course, drafted by the Bengals. And uh, he loved this city. He loved Raising his family here, he loved the people here. He loved he, he loved the city. He didn't want ever want to leave. And then as you get older, you know, right. uh, and you get cut or whatever, you got a new quarterback you drafted. So then Boomer goes to other cities. But um, you know, he he's it's a great city, and um, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, have, um, have have come here and love this city, and they move on, you know, and. Um, I don't know of one celebrity, big celebrity, mm-hmm. that was a celebrity here in this town. I'll take that back in a second. That stayed in this town to live. Right. And the only one I can think of is now is Anthony Munoz. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I think he came from California, and, and uh, we do a lot of things charitable with Andy's. Uh, Anthony, he's he's just a wonderful man. Right. But um, but Johnny, you know, he lives in uh, 
California and, and, and Pete lives uh, in Vegas and Florida. Uh, Joe, the late Joe Morgan, and we lost him recently. You know, he right. moved out of, but, but Pete was born and raised here. The rest came here to play, right? but then left, you know. Mm -hmm. And of course, Johnny never played for any other team but the Reds. But, um, but uh, other than Anthony, I don't know of any uh, uh, star athlete, um, or for that matter, I mean, you know, George Clooney didn't stay here too long. <laughs> right. Is he going to go on his career? Right, right. You know? And and so, but um, you know, Doris Day was from the city, but right. so I don't know anybody that stayed here that long. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean it's a reflection on the city, right? And they went on with their careers to, you know, after. Sure. And of course, Boomer, he got traded anyway. Or he signed with other teams, so he had mm -hmm. to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's funny though. After he left. I had a corporate office over at River Center on the top floor. And my friend Bill Butler set me up there where I had a view of the waterfront. So I could see if it was sinking from my office, which, <laughs> right. which had sunk off or was hit with runaway barges or, or an iceberg, which was the final blow. But uh, I didn't know we had icebergs here, but we do. Mm -hmm. But um, now I know how the Titanic fell. But <laughs> Boomer, even though he was no longer with the Bengals, he kept his corporate office. I let him use, you know, my office. I said, sure, you know, there was an extra room for his, for him. There was a number of suites, you know, rooms there. Right. And he kept his corporate office at my headquarters. Um, I, I remember because when 9-11 hit, his corporate officers were, were there in the mm. tower. Right. And, and I called, well, actually, he called me immediately, I, whatever, because he was doing Monday Night Football mm -hmm. and he wanted to, there were no planes. He wanted to see if I could get Carl Linder and give me a private plane to pick him up and take him back to New York because mm -hmm. he was in Denver or someplace. Right. And I did, of course, but the private planes weren't allowed to fly either. Mm -hmm. So, but that's when uh, uh, a big company, I forget the name, but anyway, um, that's when he had moved his offices. And by then he wasn't, he, I don't know if he was even playing football anymore. Mm -hmm. And the same gal, Tammy Amaker, that was his assistant in Cincinnati, and, and in my office at Covington, was his assistant there. And I called her immediately, and uh, she was late for work as usual, and that's the only reason she's alive. Wow. And I say unusual as usual, just to add a little humor, I don't know if she was always late. Sure. But that's why she's alive. That's she got a canner, uh, canner Fitzgerald, I think, the company. Everyone had died from that company up there. Oh my gosh! And very close friends of Boomers, and, and it, it was you know. So Boomer wasn't there. He was doing Monday Night Football, whatever game he was doing mm -hmm. Sunday, whatever game it was. Right. And um, and he was in Denver. Tammy was late. And I don't know that he had anyone else. The only other person that would use his office, I think, was Dave Remington, his best friend, friend, former Bengal center. Right. Uh, and he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And. Um, because he works for his foundation. Right. But uh, that's what the business they did there was for his foundation. You know? Wow. So, for cystic fibrosis. Man. Wow, it's incredible. You've just been giving me some incredible stories. 
Um, I, I don't want I know you're a busy man. I don't want to keep you for long. Uh, before I get to the last question, you did uh, give me this book, Not Counting Tomorrow. So uh, what is this book exactly? I want you to be able to uh, get, your, uh, get your stuff out too. Well, actually, the proceeds go to Feed the Children, um, a national organization. Um, for many years, Boomer, Chris, everybody told me, you gotta write a book, you gotta write your story, life story. I said, nah, that's like, and then uh, that's one day I decided I was gonna do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I started on it for a number, and, and I didn't have time, I was so busy all the time, so I'd write a little bit. And I took every chapter, and I made it the soundtrack of my life. So every chapter was a song title. Mm -hmm. So I would come up with song titles, I would go through all these books, and uh, music books, and and then write the chapter, or sometimes I write the chapter, and now I got to find a title, and and um, and one day, um, uh, oh, the Rick Dees, you know who Rick Dees is, mm. famous uh, legendary jock, disc jockey, and um, and other celebrity in, in movie and whatever. Mm. He's in here one day, and I didn't know him. And we got talking, he was with Tony Kiernan, he used to be with Channel NBC affiliate here, he's now with King Television, in front of mine. He was with him, a couple other people. And then we went across the street to my uh, Bootsies across the street and smoked cigars. And I told him I'm doing this book. And he said, you gotta, 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 you gotta get a guy, Robert Windler, to write the book. I said, well, I already got, you know, uh, Paul Dockery, who had already started, you know, right. interviewing people. Mm. And, uh, and I've known Paul forever, and he's a friend, and he said, no, you gotta get this guy. He wrote the authorized biographies for Burt Lancaster, Mary Pickford, uh, Julie, uh, Julie Andrews, Shirley Temple, and wow. he, uh, and these are all Hollywood legends in the American Film Institute category of who's a Hollywood legend. There's only, there was 25 actresses and 25 actors. Right. And, and in fact, I think they're on the wall in the in the men's room. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he said, "I said, why is he going to write my book if he only does stars, so, you know, movie stars on?" He said, "Your story's different. Just listing you." And so he sets it up. The guy flies in. I actually sent him my eleven chapters I'd already written. He liked it. He came in, and um, he wrote my book. Eventually, he was the author. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was a New York Times uh, entertainment director. He had, in the New York Times, his column, syndicated column, was in 300 newspapers every Sunday, 30 million readers. I mean, he, he interviewed all these people that he was going to interview that were celebrities mm -hmm. that I wanted him to, like Michael Douglas. He'd already interviewed them for the New York Times and other magazines, even though he didn't write their biography. So he wrote the book, and... And every time we, we, we got in my bus and we went to every restaurant I owned, yeah. which at the time was uh, this, uh, uh, this place, the precinct, Carlo and Johnny, and, um, and Louisville. Um, and every time somebody would come over to the table, let's say, Tony, the waiter, who's been here 20 years or so. Right. You know, and most of my employees have been here with me for that long. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so they'd come to wait on a table with me and Robert Windler, and uh, there's a bio about him in there. And um, 
I said, Tony, how long have you been with me? Not counting tomorrow, which is a nice way of saying don't think you're going to, you, you could still get fired. Right, right. But they know my humor, so mm -hmm. they know I'm sarcastic. I speak three languages fluently. English, profanity, and sarcasm. <laughs> so everywhere we went, I'd say, um, um, Judy, how long have you been with us? Not counting tomorrow. So when come time to, to write the book, to title the book, uh, Paul, he wanted me to call it Ruby. I said, who knows who Ruby is, especially, you know, not in this, if they're not in this town. Right. And Chris Collinsworth said, run away, uh, run away success, because I was a, a runaway in high school. Mm -hmm. I ran away from home. Right. And it turned out to be a success. So Chris, who I respect his opinion when it comes to marketing and, and intellect, more than my own, right. I said, oh, runaway success. The only thing I don't like it, it sounds like I'm bragging on a success, you know. Uh, no, no, you got to call it runaway success. So I ran that by Robert. He didn't like it. He ran it by his copy editor in L.A. He's out of New York. She didn't like it. And some other people liked it most, but the people in the business, okay, mm. and I think maybe even the publisher, liked not counting tomorrow. because Robert heard me say not counting tomorrow so much, right. but if you look at my life story and all the near-death experiences I've had, I, was, I had a 5% chance of living after my head injury on Kellogg Avenue, July 13th of 87, I was in and out of comas, and I was given a 5% chance. I was given my last rights. I was in a lot of other things that are in the book. And when he listened to my life story, he got the not counting tomorrow from me being sarcastic with the employees, how long you've been working for me, not counting tomorrow. But because there is no guarantee there's going to be a tomorrow when you do things because of my life story being so near death so many times. Right. And that's what we went with, not counting tomorrow. And every chapter... As a song title, and uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, the, the famous murder case of Drew Peterson, who murdered his wife and another wife. He was a Bolingbroke policeman, sergeant, mm -hmm. in Illinois, mm -hmm. and uh, Chicago area, and and it was a big story in Joliet. He went to jail in Joliet, and it was all over TV and everything else. And 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 uh, the, the he was going to get away with it. Mm -hmm. He got away with it for day five years or something before the, the second wife got murdered. That's when I said, let's dig up the, let's exhume the body of the first one. Anyway, right. it was so obvious. He and, and then there was interviews every day. He had the dream team of attorneys, nine attorneys from Chicago, including the mafia attorney, uh, Joe Lopez, the shark. Oof. It was so, I said, I got to get to and help and help mm, this right. guy and these poor families of the people that were killed. And they're, they're, you know, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have any money. They were just, and, and, and the district attorney was just getting killed because the judge was corrupt and wanted the killer to get off, by the way. I felt so terrible. So I, and they had, I had death threats before when, when they heard I was going because I was on Fox News with Junine Pirro. And, and anyway, I got death threats. I was going there. Yeah. Anyway, we won the case. And, 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 and Jim Glasgow, who the state attorney, said, uh, you had a lot to do with that verdict. And that's a whole different, it's in the chapter. Mm -hmm. Well, we had to hold up the book until that chapter finished. I mean, how do I leave? That was the greatest thing I've ever accomplished in my life that I felt I helped somebody. What I did for that family to get them justice.
for the two families, even though the other family, that gal still hasn't been found, her body. So, you know, he hasn't served uh, justice for her, mm-hmm. but he's in for good. And, uh, and at least they saw him go to jail and he's not going to kill anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, and they were there. So I felt so good about the time I, I wound up getting thrown in jail. That's in the book. Wow. It was jail time well spent. I got thrown in jail for, for getting into it with, it with Drew Peterson, the murderer. Right. In the courtroom, I got into it with him. Mm-hmm. And, right. And, uh, and that chapter, I said, well, what do I name this chapter? Okay. I've got a chapter, okay, like uh, I, I was a runaway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that changed my whole life. So that's Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, my fellow Asbury Park guy. Right. That makes sense. John Bon Jovi, who I have met, who's from North, uh, Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. uh, he had a song called Runaway. And that was the chapter I actually ran away from home. There's mm-hmm. So all these other, but this one, what do I say here? How do I figure out what to call this chapter? I don't know some song that I can put about this. And what the guy that, uh, that wrote for the writer and actually wrote the movie, wrote the book that the movie was based on. Rob Lowe pay, played play, played Drew Peterson in the TV movie. Wow. And there's still documentaries on all the time, how it really happened mm-hmm. on, on CNN or Headline News. It still shows the whole Drew Peterson. Theory. So, so uh, he, he gave me a couple, well, actually one title, he said, Tom Petty, uh, um, um, I won't hold back. By the time he said, uh, so I, I, I used that chapter, but I said, man, I gotta find something to do with Joliet. How do I, and I'm Googling, which I'm not good at that. I don't even know good stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there was a song, uh, uh, Joliet Bound, and written by some guy, Kansas Joe McCoy or something, but it was recorded by Eric Clapton, who I've heard of, right. and Whitten Marsalis, they did a thing. They did this song. I never heard of Joliet Bound. So I looked it up, and it's about a guy that goes to Joliet, and he winds up getting thrown in jail. Well, I went to Joliet, and I got thrown in jail. There's your name of that chapter, Joliet Bound. And it's like the, the last or second last chapter, because it's trying to go in chronology, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Incredible. Absolutely incredible story. It's a great book. It's a great story. Uh, Each chapter is, 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 some people are, uh, it's brought tears and and laughter. Um, It's uh, the guy that, the writer, Robert Windler, he's a a PhD in journalism from Columbia, and he's liberal, Mm. and I'm conservative. Mm. So we fought about a lot. I mean, he kept the the way I talk. He was like, no, we're not saying that. (laughs) But, uh, um, but he's good, and uh, he made the work. You know, I couldn't have written it by myself, and uh, that, that's he contributed to it. But um, that was uh, that was time well spent. It was jail time well spent because that had a difference in the outcome of the of the verdict. Mm-hmm. When I went to jail, um, it, it, it's it, Jim Glasgow, the state attorney, said it resonated with all of greater Chicago. I had full page ads in every paper in Chicago, Tribune, Sun, Bolingbroke taper, the Joliet paper, every, about what was going on and how that whole thing was a scam and how the judge was corrupt. And, it, and that's why the judge threw me in jail, actually. Right. Not for lipping off to the other guy, but to, the, to Drew Peterson, but because he knew. Uh, and I said it on TV, on national TV, that um, this guy was, the judge was obstructing justice, in my opinion. And uh, because he didn't like the district attorney. So anyway, 
Wow, absolutely incredible stories. Not counting tomorrow. It is uh, Jeff Ruby's autobiography. Absolutely incredible. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before we end, I just have to ask one more Bengals question because this is Bengals podcast. Oh, it was the Bengals we were supposed to talk about. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, we're no. About me. Oh no, we talked about we talked about everything and it was awesome. I loved it. But obviously, with the draft coming up. There's a lot of tension. A lot of Bengals fans are back and forth of who we should draft. In your opinion, if you were the GM of the Bengals, who are you drafting first round? Well, they got uh, Riley, so he's the right tackle, so he's good. And they've got, um, in fact, Zach told me they were bringing that other guy in, but uh, turns out he, I think, went with the Giants or somebody, the kid from Louisville, University of Louisville, I forget his name, mm-hmm. another lineman. Uh, I think they ought to go after the tight end, just like uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. is suggesting. Uh, they could still use a tight end. They, their wide receivers are okay, even without A.J. I mean, they still got some good wide. They got T. Higgins mm-hmm. from Clemson. They've got, uh, of course, uh, Tyler Boyd. Um, and their other backups are pretty good, and they can get another one in their third round or whatever. Mm-hmm. But and maybe they can get a, a, a great offensive lineman in the second round. But I think um, that'll help. But if, if they don't protect Joe, it doesn't matter how good a quarterback you are. doesn't matter. If you don't have time to throw, if your running backs can't run the ball because there's no holes, and then you got to throw, then they know you're throwing, and they're blitzing and coming crazy and you can't block that, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. And, um, but the kind of year he had, he was headed for... Who knows what kind of – and they were losing. Yeah. He was having a great year, but they weren't winning because he was getting killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, they win one game while he was uh, quarterback? They won one game and tied another game, then lost the yeah, rest. that's right. And it wasn't because of him. Right. So, you know, uh, and so he is – could very likely be the greatest quarterback in Bengal history. And they drafted Greg Cook out of the University of Cincinnati, who may have been that quarterback. Right. Uh, he was the first. And then he got hurt, and then he had some other issues, uh, unfortunately. But he got hurt. He, he, he never could play again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Kenny Anderson, a lot of people argue he, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. And, of course, Boomer was incredible. And he took him to a Super Bowl and was NFL MVP, too. You could argue he, he should be in the, Super, or in the uh, Hall of Fame. Absolutely. So they've had... Uh, Actually, Greg was so short. So they they've essentially had two good quarterbacks, and they've drafted Klingler and Akili Smith and all these quarterbacks. They have drafted number one, um, and um, and Dalton did good. Yeah. Dalton did good. Yeah, he did. Uh, he had a good career here, and mm-hmm. then McCarron was drafted high, I think second or whatever, but he he didn't start. Uh, so they've really had three. You know, the Bengals started here, I think, the year I came here, '68 or '70. And they've had three that I can remember. Maybe I'm forgetting something. <laughs> but they've had three bona fide NFL quarterbacks. Mm. And and you could argue that Anderson at that time was elite and Boomer at that time was elite. And and Andy took him to playoffs that they hadn't been to in years. Right. And um and again, so I think Burrow could be the greatest quarterback ever to play here. I I, think, I, think, I agree. I think Boomer would Agree. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, this kid is different. I, I, he's just as big. Yeah. So I didn't know until Boomer had him on his show or something. I said, "Oh, I didn't know he was that tall." But um, uh, and uh, he can run a little bit. 
He's a great leader. That's what Boomer said. Boomer was a great leader. And this kid's the leaders. You know, if you're, if you got the arm, you got the talent, but you don't have the charisma and the leadership skills. Uh, they had Carson Palmer. He right. was good. Right. Okay. And, um, but uh, if you don't have the leadership skills, you're not going to be a, 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 an elite quarterback in the NFL or even a successful one. And the other thing you got to have, intellect, has right. as much to do with quarterback in the NFL as arm strength. Mm-hmm. A lot of quarterbacks can't throw really, really long, but they've made it. They've probably been in the Hall of Fame because they yeah. had this. Right. They had this, they had that, and, they yeah, had that. Right. and that is important. And uh, Joe Burrow's got that. Yeah, he does. So, and so did Boomer. Yeah, Absolutely. So. I got you. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, doing this podcast with me and talking to me. It was incredible. So interesting. This has been the Back Row uh, Cincinnati Bengals Sports Podcast. Uh, and hopefully this will be out on Thursday. And then uh, there should be another episode coming out next week. Again, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Good luck in your career and the rest of What year are you? So I am a senior right now. So you graduate soon? Yep, I graduate. Good luck to you, and I I respect you too. Thank you so much. I hope, hopefully, uh, sometime soon we can get a steak, a whiskey, and uh, have a nice little cigar, and that would be great. Great. When things get better, maybe we will. I'm sure we will. Things are getting better. Right, yeah, right. Uh, Back Row Bengal Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody.